and welcome to another episode of Cavell Cloud Conversations. Once again, I am Finbar, one analyst at Cavell, joined by my colleague Patrick, another analyst at Cavell. There are more of us, but uh, we're the two you see the most often. How are we doing, Patrick? Are we all right? Very well. Very well, thank you, Finbar. Good Good afternoon. Hello, hello, everyone. It is a very humid Friday afternoon here in London. It has been hot. It has been raining. Uh, I think up north it's probably a bit colder, but where I am, it's definitely warm. Yeah, it's so uh, just for the viewers' benefit, I am in the the northern office, uh, northern England, and it uh, <laughs> typically for a mid July afternoon is cold, windy, and raining. <laughs> See, when people think of like British weather in the summertime, they actually think of the north of England, where it's cold, windy, and raining. Yeah. Whereas in the south, it's actually like 25 degrees and raining. Um, you know, so we get warm weather to go with our rain, which is... Yeah, no, it's cold up here. Yeah, yeah. So we're back to the podcast today of all interesting things uh, to talk about one of the things that Cavell obviously specialises in and does a lot, which is research. And whenever we like to, whenever we publish a research report, we like to sit down and talk about what it's about. And if you the listener are we'll say interested in anything that you hear through these research reports you can find them in their sort of glory on cavellgroup.com uh where they are available for a reasonably modest fee which you know we don't usually charge you know through the roof but for research they're quite in in depth and quite detailed so um that's it and i guess you can start us off patrick so you've been working on your is it contact center this time right i think yeah yeah so it's uh so we've just published our q2 2023 ccas focused report um although it although it is a bit broader than just contact center as a service i think it, it, we, we cover in it a lot of trends across uh customer experience and just in terms of the the sort of methodology but behind the reports they 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 take a long time yeah. Uh, they take a, a couple of months to compile because there's this this huge data gathering process, which this year for the and I know it's the same for you on the on the networking side, on the customer experience side involved interviews with around 40 of the globe sort of leading uh, contact center, CCAS, customer experience point solution vendors, where we talk to them about what's going on in the industry, how their different product portfolio solutions are uh, are going out in the market and what are the the key trends that are sort of impacting their development and as well as that we also combine that sort of industry focused research where we also speak to service providers and, and channel partners as well with um, details from our enterprise research studies that that uh, augment that that data so it, it it is a it is a lengthy process to compile and then and then and then write these reports across sort of trends and and, and on the uh, the contact center side we've been we've had our own internal data models for the sort of size well for the size of the of the contact center market globally but we've never actually published anything we've just used those internally for for consulting projects and our own internal data but we, oh. but we thought th this year we'd we've actually published so we, we've got some market sizing data across the key markets that we cover so across north america uh, and western europe france germany 
the UK as to what some, how many contact centre users there are, what uh, revenue those those users generate, and the um, adoption of uh, cloud-based contact centres as a service with it within that as well. So it's been it's a, it's been a pretty lengthy process this year on on the customer experience side. Yeah, and I mean, obviously, not to give away all the secrets of the report, but I mean, what's what's the one interesting topic that kind of stood out to you while you were writing this report? I know you told me you kept coming up with something and then having to add new slides in because you thought, oh, this will be interesting. Let's put that in. So, what? Give us a little tidbit. What's one of these bits that? Yeah, well, that, well, that is that is a really key that is a really key aspect. So, obviously, we have a sort of outline of what we want the the reports to include when we sort of begin the writing process. Which, as I said, starts a, a, a few months in advance. But then, as you as you should, as you speak to the vendors and as you get research back and you do desk based research, you realise that there are key topics that you might not have thought were were necessarily going to be included. And, and Finbar, you've set me you've set me up perfectly here for a, no, a topic that we've discussed really? we've, we've discussed at length. <laughs> Um, but I think the the overwhelming trend, and it, it's been a trend that's been present within the contact centre and customer experience industry for for a number of years. But I think it, it, it's its sort of level of pertinence just continues to increase, and that is artificial intelligence in the contact centre. Okay. Um, and the report we cover obviously AI and machine learning and artificial general intelligence doesn't just apply in one aspect of customer experience provision it's, it's across several different areas so we, we and we cover those in the report across sort of common use cases but I think that the area that's most interesting and massive credit um, to, to Dominic Black our director of research services we, we did a lot of work in our data model in looking at the potential impact of virtual agents within the contact mm. centre market. So how many human agents might virtual agents replace over time? What sort of functionality um, and capability are, are they able to, to replicate? Um, and effectively, we had to create a few different potential scenarios in our data model depending mm. on the the potential uptake of, of virtual agents how that will impact the overall contact center user base how it might impact uh, revenue and margin generation for both uh, contact center vendors and and channel and partner organizations so so i think that that is really interesting and i think we've we've obviously the the data is in there in the report in terms of the scenarios and how we think those potential scenarios might impact the market but um that that's saying the british saying that the proof is in the pudding in a few years we'll be able to go back to this when we've got a little mm. bit more data and look at this and say oh actually it was scenario b that was most um uh, uh closely aligned to what happened in actuality and i think it it's really interesting because the and, and you and i talk about you know we geek out on emerging technologies because they are emerging and this is sort of the real sort of bleeding mm. edge of adoption of these yeah. technologies we the impact really is unknown that's why we've had to yeah. create the scenarios in a data model because we don't have a huge you know that vast data point and, and influence. So we've had to create these multiple scenarios to try and project what that's going to look like. So I think it's really interesting to see, but, but both based against our own scenarios, but, but how this really impacts in the market over the next three years, because I don't think we really know how fast this technology will develop. And second to that, how quickly it will be adopted uh, in the business world. So uh, I, think, I think that's I really think interesting. That's kind of a huge point when it comes to virtual agents, which is one thing that does, as you say, make these different forecasts quite interesting. 
and probably one of the things that people find as a relevant takeaway from the report is you know kind of trying to imagine what the levels of uh you know that adoption is because there's just so many factors that aren't efficiency based they're not business case based they're not they're not actually that tangible in terms of this like loose idea of the consumer zeitgeist like how that is going to respond to the introduction of virtual agents into a data center you know will people calling up vodafone insist on speaking to a real human being even though they know that the virtual agent could do what they want to you know are they just going to push buttons like there's all these things that could like there could be a huge consumer backlash against the idea that someone's losing their job and you're not speaking to an actual person. And I know I was reading, there was a piece of research that Gartner put out last week, which was looking at the impact of both good and bad customer outreach campaigns on contact center, like interactivity rates. And they were like, if you put out something that's even slightly wrong or is too good to be true or something along those lines, like 25% of your customers might call up your contact center just to see if it's fake. And you could easily imagine a situation where if the first thing they do when they call up a contact center is encounter a robot or a virtual agent instead of an actual person, they're not going to think it's any less fake, right? They're not going to, you know, there's 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 layers of psychology and consumer behavior here that's going to impact this adoption, which makes it much harder to predict. Absolutely, I, cu- I couldn't agree more. And I think we've already we've already seen within the industry, and and one of the pieces of research that we might be looking to do later on this year is um, it, in terms of a consumer's preference when communicating with a business. So yeah. whether they, you know, whether they would prefer to speak to a human agent. So and we've already seen that backlash against chatbots. And there there is a distinction between the the chatbots we see in the industry now and uh, a really intelligent virtual agent so so a chatbot effectively is constrained by predetermined programming it's yeah. it's automated response whereas a virtual agent will utilize that underlying artificial intelligence machine learning algorithms utilizing natural language processing to discern underlying intent it, it, it's a yeah it's a, it's a level above that so i think you're absolutely right. We've seen a sort of resistance to chatbot. I don't particularly like speaking to chatbots online. And I will often, when I had it the other day with a particular vendor of sporting goods in the UK, which I won't name. <laughs> and I decided that I would get around the 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 paucity of their chatbot response by just typing agent repeatedly. I just I want to speak to a person. I'm not responding to any of your questions. I just type <laughs> agent until I hopefully get a human, which didn't work. It didn't work. Um, oh, no. So, so I don't think, but the point you make is really interesting. I don't think I have in any inherent bias to not wanting to speak to a chatbot because it's non-human. My experience um, is generally I don't want to speak to a chatbot because they have been rubbish. Yes. And I re- so if, Will will people care if the um, customer service that they're getting is really good from a from a virtual agent? But that's a big I'm, that's a I'm big question, sure. right? Because if, yeah. if if the customer service is good, then I don't know if people will care as much. Like if all I want to do is change from you know, Virgin to Sky, for example, and I call yeah. up Virgin and I say, "Hey, I'm changing to Sky," and the chat and the automated virtual agent says, "Okay, cool, we'll email Sky for you." it's done that i'm probably not going to care but i think the second anything goes wrong 
Yeah. I'm not just looking for a I'm not just look I'm I'm not just looking to be told no by a machine. I'm looking yes. for an emotional explanation from yep. someone who I know understands what I'm going through is shit. Right? Yeah, you want you want empathy. I want empathy, moment, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're right. That's that's where they really struggle. And, and I think the other, just going back to your initial point quickly, um, I think in terms of trying to forecast how these impact the market, you're you're sort of looking at a forecast against a a place in time product. Yeah. So we we look at the virtual agents in the market, and we've spoken to the vendors about what they're capable of. So that is at a point in time now of the first half of 2023. So they have X capability in terms of what they what functionality they can replicate in a contact center. We don't know how fast that will accelerate over the next 12 months. So within 12 months, if their capability is vastly improved, obviously that dramatically impacts yeah. a potential forecast. So one of those areas, empathy that we we talk about at the moment, that is that is the real domain uh, in theory of a good human agent that you can yes. be empathetic can give that sort of whether in the long run you know computer responses can become more empathetic or simulate some sort of empathy i think is a is more of a philosophical debate um, but, I, but, but also but I, you're think, absolutely right. I think it's a whole other philosophical debate which maybe we say for a different podcast which is if i could build a virtual agent that is capable of fooling the people that it's speaking to into believing that it's human do i have an obligation to tell the people that they're speaking to that they're actually talking to a robot right that so you're talking about the finbar consumer turing test i'm talking about the fact that if i as a consumer say i'm distraught with something it's been delivered in the wrong size yeah. and i call up a contact center and i speak to a ai voiced virtual agent right and I think I'm speaking to Jill, who works in Scotland, and I feel like I make a connection with her, and she gets me what I want, right? If I then yeah. later found out that actually Jill.ai is the same person everyone speaks to, yeah. I would feel that the connection and the empathy that I got from that experience was hollow. So interesting but if they told me that i was speaking to a virtual agent before i started the conversation i probably wouldn't look for empathy so there's a very yeah. interesting question there as to disclosure and yes no i see i see exactly i see exactly what you mean yeah it's it's, it's and and this is probably a why there is an infinite uh level of topic to discuss but yeah i i, I think i, I think yeah. you're absolutely right there is a there is a real consumer appetite and and consumer dynamic uh question which is something that we we are considering uh conducting research into in, yeah. into the future i think that's but but so i mean i realize uh, so that's the that's the customer experience report you also have been working in an equally bleeding edge area of technology on the on the networking side yeah so well i was gonna i was gonna pivot to that sooner or later but i got distracted by the promise of virtual agents and how interesting ai is uh yeah so i did the boring <laughs> no i did the really interesting uh we did a uk sd1 market report um sd1 obviously for those less familiar is the software defined wide area networks the wide area networks is basically what you build to connect two different business sites together um so you don't just want to have 
business is trying to communicate over the public internet you want them to have some sort of different way of speaking to each other that lets you safely transfer data between different sites and all those things and now we make it with software instead of custom-built hardware because the software is more flexible so software-defined wide area networking um it's a technology that's been around i guess for about seven or eight years now uh really sort of seeing a renaissance and a, a sort of powerful adoption drive in the middle of the pandemic and then coming out of the pandemic um a lot of people are turning to sort of like cloud applications and cloud for their business now when you start to do that you add in a whole load of complex networking questions like how do i optimize my connection to the cloud how do i guarantee that this really powerful cloud application gets the bandwidth it needs all the time and is it competing with something that isn't important on the network resources without just paying a ton for a network you know because loads of people buy networks by based on capacity and bandwidth right yeah and you can just overbuy, massively overbuy, and a lot of companies are finding out they have been massively overbuying capacity because they're deploying an SD-WAN solution which is capable of splitting out traffic into different applications, and they're saying, actually, that one's not urgent. They don't need to compete. Therefore, why am I paying for this 100 megabit line when I could pay for a 10 megabit line and still do everything I want at different times? So SD-WAN's a really interesting area of technology because it's giving people that visibility into their network they haven't really had um, and the ability to sort of control it remotely and manage it through a web browser client and all this kind of stuff and it's good it's it is good um well well I, i'm just going to say obviously i i've read the report and i think the 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 thing well amongst various things but the the piece that i took away which i, I thought you, you really well it's really it really gave me some insight into was you do a a very good in-depth exploration of the the key vendors in in the market yes. and an evaluation of what particular products they're doing what they do well what they're having success with what they're not having success with and i, I thought that that was particularly interesting for me because i'm familiar with some of the the more traditional networking vendors from a from a previous life in in it mm -hmm. but to understand what the the vendors are doing in the in the software defined world i thought i thought was particularly interesting are, are there any other as you were at and same question that you asked me on the customer experience side is there a, a particular highlight for for you from the report yeah I, th I think there is i mean just on the vendor thing i think one of the main tactics that i've taken with the vendors is you know, obviously, I could sit down and go through all of their press releases and their announcements and all those kind of things, which anyone could do. Um, and there is a certain amount of that in there. But I feel like for me, the most interesting thing was to go out and speak to the actual channel partners who are selling the technology yeah. in the market and ask them how it's going. You know, which are you selling more? Why are you selling it more? You know, why is that matching your customer base why did you choose because like a lot of the vendors have two or three different oh, sorry a lot of the providers have two or three different platforms and yeah. you know they could sell either of, or any three of them or any one of the three or combination but, of, yeah well usually less combinations but like more just they, they could package it in loads of different ways so then if you've got three solutions on the books which one's selling the most and why is kind of yeah. the most interesting question and that that kind of brings out the the good and the bad in terms of these people are really good on channel support, but they're not actually that good on technical capabilities and all those kind of little bits of nuance that I think adds a lot of colour. In terms of no, the most... Right. In terms right. of like, I, thought that, I 
Sorry. The, I thought that was very interesting on the vendor side, just to just yeah. to put my two piece in there. I thought I thought that provided some real insight into into as as you said, real world what's what's going on. Sorry, you were going yeah, to yeah. Go, go, uh, well, I was, No, but I mean this is a it's a joint podcast, so we do need to <laughs> chat but I think the most interesting thing that I came across while I was learning it, because obviously one of the big questions when you start automating a massive system like a network is what's gonna happen to the engineers, what's gonna happen to the jobs. Yeah. And you know, one of my conclusions in the report, which, you know, obviously I don't want to go into too much detail in, is that this idea that you need to have more of a broad capability of understanding, because a lot of the times in these cases when we're talking about these co-managed, these managed solutions that networks are becoming, uh, this whole network as a service market, the networking expertise, the actual like network engineering expertise to deploy, maintain and run is moving from customer side to managed service provider side right because yeah. why wouldn't it they can centralize they can task manage and prioritize and they can maintain and invest in maintaining a lot of expertise right but on the vent on the on the customer side what you then need is people who are capable of understanding lots of different viewpoints on how your network interacts with lots of different parts of your business and we're yeah. kind of leading into a situation where you know, you're not going to have your network guy who's maybe you have one guy who's super technical on network engineering. You've got another person who's capable of looking at everything that's happening in the network and telling what sort of problems are happening, but also has a bit of a side job helping your dev team and your DevOps team figure out what sort of networking tools they need to put into the program you're developing for your customers, right? And it's kind of like looking at networks through a software development or business outcomes focused lens. And you've got another person who knows more about security and is helping like your security team interact with the network better. And if anything really goes wrong on the network, your technical guy calls your provider's technical guy and you work it out, right? Depending on how sensitive your business is. Uh, but you don't need as many people on the inside of your team doing as many technical things. And, you know, some of those networking staff might have to broaden their remit, might have to kind of say yeah. what other parts of the industry am I interested in, which I think is a challenge. But I think it's you can't automate everything and not have a question as to what the people do. Um, and I think... No. I, I think that's a yeah. very interesting. And it comes back to that initial discussion we were having. Eff yeah. Effectively, it's, it's this is a across industries you know as you know yeah. technological disruption does cause that redefinition need to realign re-educate redefine roles yeah. everywhere so, no that's a very interesting point. yeah and i mean hilariously on the networking side it is also slowing down the adoption of some technologies because <laughs> people don't want to deploy a technology that's going to automate their job away um yeah it's turkeys voting for christmas isn't it yeah exactly so you know you need to get to a point where the younger staff are experienced enough that they want to they can do a digital transformation but not so experienced that they're stuck in their ways and don't want to transform you know so you know with this technology actually the full transformation might not happen for a while until people are getting closer to the end of their careers when they don't care if it transforms and they retire right you know there's yeah, a lot of you know much like with the 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 ai and, and customer contact stuff there's a lot more human dynamics going on because of how powerful this technology is it's not just you know 
we've got a new type of typewriter, right? You know, Patrick's the secretary. We give Patrick the new typewriter and he just does the job he did before, but he can do yeah, an extra 20 pages a day. We're talking about massive Disruptive. multipliers yeah. in everything. So the disruption is definitely there and people are kind of not the, the blocking point, but definitely there's a, there's a question as to how people are going to interact with that change. Yes, very interesting. Yeah. There's a thought for everyone to take away. Um, <laughs> we've got lots of thoughts. We're getting quite philosophical on this podcast, but I think that makes yeah, it we more, do. Incre more interesting. Philosophical. Yeah. But it's more interesting that way because yeah. we can tell you what the technology is going to do. And, you know, if you want a specific strategy point being like, how do I deal with changing contact center or how do I find a good SD-WAN vendor or any of those kind of things? We can 100% do that for, for you. You know, that's a really good consulting project for us. And we'll we'll dig into it and we'll give you all the, the sort of deep technical discussion and the deep knowledge yeah. and industry knowledge. But there's less people turning around and asking us, you know, do you think people are going to hate virtual agents? Because, yes. you know, yeah. it's just not like... You know, that's a very fair point. The big, it's big, big questions. Big questions, yeah. and I'd rather answer them in a podcast because I'd rather send our audience away thinking than, you know. Yes. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, I have been Finbar, uh, senior research analyst at the Cavell Group, and obviously my colleague Patrick has been. Thank you, everyone. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So thank you all for listening and. I will, we will see you on the next episode. Not really sure what it's going to be about yet, but we will have a topic and it's going to be fun. So thank you all for listening and we will speak to you all soon. Goodbye.